0: Is the Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to James chapter one this evening. James chapter one. The the author of this uh, uh, letter to the church is James, the half brother of Jesus. Now uh, you may recall that um, uh, Jesus' brothers and sisters and even his mother were having a hard time believing that he was um, the Christ, was the Messiah. There was one place where uh, the house was full and. Um, uh, Jesus' mother sent word by somebody asking him to come outside to where she and their, his other brothers and sisters, half-brothers and sisters were, and he identified that uh, those that loved the word and put the word first are his family. So church tradition tells us, I don't think there's any historical evidence or any way to confirm it historically, but church tradition tells us that uh, uh, James, again, this is a half brother of of Jesus. It's not James, one of the apostles. He was already beheaded at this time that uh, this letter is written. But um, church tradition tells us that Jesus appeared to his half brother, James. And in his appearance, or as a result of his appearance, James got saved. And by the 15th chapter of Acts, some, well, probably 15, maybe 16, maybe 17 years after. Uh, the beginning of the church James becomes the pastor he's the one that uh, decides over the major issues of the church uh, church historians tell us that he was a great man of prayer that uh, his nickname was camel knees because he spent so much time on his knees in prayer his, uh, his knees got all well they looked like camel knees how do you describe that I don't know maybe you've got a better idea than I do but James talks about some things to the church, and he writes to uh, Jewish believers that had been scattered abroad, mostly because of the persecution that, uh, that came against the church in the early days, in the first generation of the church. And, uh, and James writes some things that are the most practical application type information of anything that we have record of. Now, a lot of people have trouble with some of the things that James said because of the way that it was translated. But we'll, we'll talk about some of those and, and see if we can't shed some light on that to help you understand. I want to start in verse 21, James chapter 1, verse 21. First, he said, lay a, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. That just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Folks, the easiest way to translate this is put aside the things of the world. Don't get caught up in the world's distraction or sinful activity or anything else. But rather, receive with meekness the engrafted word. The word meekness there really means teachable more than it does anything else. Be teachable. Stay teachable, he's saying. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Another translation says deluding your own selves. Folks, we've got a lot of self-deceived and self-deluded people in the body of Christ he goes on to say for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer he's like the man beholding his natural face in a glass natural face in a glass means looking at his reflection in a mirror for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty he's talking about using the word of God as your mirror and continueth therein he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now I want you to look with me to chapter two also. Again, here's Mr. Practicality. He said, what does it profit my brethren? Verse 14, what does it profit my brethren though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Now, uh, Martin Luther Particularly, had a real problem with the book of James. He was really on the verge, and you remember where he came from. He got a revelation of, of one scripture, the just shall live by faith. And that spurn, uh, sparked the, Re- uh, the Reformation. It caused tremendous change in the body of Christ because at that time the Orthodox Church, the Roman Catholic Church, was uh, ministering in such a manner That it was all a matter of do's and don'ts and penances and and, uh, paying money for different things and that kind of stuff. When Martin Luther came upon the scripture that says the just shall live by faith. He realized his eyes, the eyes of his spirit were open and he realized that this is the way to God. This is what blesses God. This is what brings you into fellowship with God. This is what makes you right with God. Faith in Jesus and not anything else. Well, as you can well imagine... That created quite an uproar with the church. People started believing Martin Luther and following him and not following the the, uh, Orthodox church. And so it was a a giant war, conflict between between the two factions, the two groups. And one of the things that Martin Luther said, and uh, I'm not sure I'm going to get the quote exactly right, but he said something to the effect that these verses of scripture cannot be inspired by the Holy Ghost. Because he's trying to judge it, Between faith and works, faith in Jesus as it had just been revealed to him, versus the church requiring works to be saved and so forth. But the problem's in the translation. When James says, talks about the difference between faith and works, the works that he's referring to are corresponding actions to your faith. See, he's not saying if you go out and climb the steps with your knees 50 times, are not, those were the works that the Orthodox Church was imposing on people in times, in this time. Those were the things that Martin Luther had done and found that he was no closer to God than when he started. So when James starts talking about works, that caused a real problem for Martin Luther and many of his followers. But what they didn't understand is that he's just talking about faith producing works that correspond with what we say we believe. We'll keep reading. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked or destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works. Again, this is the word corresponding actions. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man will say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, he's saying, we ought to be able to see faith in the operation in somebody's life by the works or the, the, the way that they live their life to correspond with their, their confession. He talks about some other things. James goes a little bit further. In the uh, third and fourth chapters, he's talking about people that pray and don't receive answers for their prayers because they're praying with the wrong motives. This guy, James was such a straight-laced, stickler for the word type thing. I mean, he dealt with the the realities of life and the realities of faith. So back to where it started, back to where we started in chapter 1, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, deceiving your own selves. Now, folks, what is the word supposed to produce? Or what works, what corresponding actions should we expect to receive or to to witness from our faith or from somebody else's faith? One of the things it's supposed to do is identified in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. In Joshua chapter 1, the Lord is giving instruction to Joshua so that he can take over the leadership of the Jewish nation. Now up until that time, Moses had been in charge. The people were accustomed to Moses and for the last 40 years, well, 40 plus years really. But for the last 40 plus years, Moses had been the the spokesman for God. He performed signs and wonders that the world hasn't seen since. At the direction of God when he went to Pharaoh to demand that he let his people go, let the people of Israel go. Then we saw Moses doing some things after they were brought out of Egypt. The parting of the Red Sea is the first one, of course. But there were other miracles that took place in Moses' life. There were mis- m- uh, miracles that took place on God's part to defend Moses from the wrath of the people when they rose up to stone him on occasion and so forth. The people are used to seeing great power in operation through Moses. Moses is the guy that talked face to face with God. So much so that it affected the glory of God, affected his, his flesh apparently Because he came down from the mountain where he had met with God and stayed with him for 40 days. He came down and his face shined. So much so that the people had to ask him to put a veil on his face. Because he was freaking them out. Now think about that. A fellowship with God, a face-to-face fellowship with God that is so great and so real that it freaks other people out. Man, what a way to live in the world. Wouldn't you agree? But God giving Joshua instruction in verse 8 of chapter 1. God told Joshua this book of the law now all they had was the law of Moses at that time so we could interpose or uh, substitute the phrase the word of God for the book of the law because we've got more than they had and the same principle would apply for us this book of the law or word of God shall not depart out of your mouth but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Now, folks, I want to draw you back to compare the two things that we've read. We read over in James that we're in, uh, supposed to, instructed to, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And the doing of the word is to produce corresponding actions with your faith or with your confession of faith. James talks about faith, if it hath not works, if there's no corresponding action behind it, if there's no, no doing of the word, then faith is dead because it has to have those corresponding actions. That's exactly what God told Joshua. He said, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Meditating is speaking the word. It's pure and simple, just speaking the word. And God told Joshua, speak the word day and night. One uh, definition of the word meditate means to mutter or to say to yourself over and over and over again. God told Joshua that he was to speak the word over and over again, continuously, day and night, for one purpose and one purpose only, that he might observe to do the word that he's speaking. He said, "...then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success." Now, folks, you know as well as I do, we could talk about stories and give you examples where some people speak the word, but they never take action. And on the other hand, you got people that take action, but never speak the word. And they work hand in hand. One won't work without the other. One won't produce fruit or results without the other. The Bible is is being as clear as it can be. The purpose for meditating in the word is to do it. The purpose for speaking the word is to do it. Now we talk so much about confession and I don't apologize for that. I don't believe you can overemphasize the truth of the reality of confession in the Christian life. But we're sticklers for the Bible in this respect, in this regard. And that is the word of God is told us over and over and over again to be like a seed that's planted in the earth. If we don't speak the word, we're not planting any seed and if you're not planting any seeds you can't get a harvest but not every confession is a result of what's in your heart sometimes confession is to put the word into your heart you remember in the parable of the sower sowing the word Jesus talked about the the different types of ground the wayside immediately has the word taken away from them but then the stony ground that which is sown among stones the stony ground receives the word with gladness but because it doesn't continue to water the ground because that type of individual doesn't continue in the word he doesn't continue to speak the word see in that context speaking the word is watering the seed it's watering the seed now we know without a shadow of a doubt there's no, no way to argue this scripturally we know that Jesus told us that with the heart man believes he told us whosoever shall say unto the mountain Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So he says the criteria is not doubt in your heart, but instead to believe. Now if he's talking about not doubting in your heart, he's got to be talking about believing in your heart. And how do we identify what it is that we believe? What we're speaking from our heart. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus talked about out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. How do you make the Word of God so abundant that it comes out of your mouth with power? Now, folks, the Word of God has power in two different ways. It's not void of power. It's never void of power. But a lot of people fail to receive the results because they don't know how to utilize the power that's given to us in the Word. Here's what I mean. When you first see the Word of God that promises you something you don't have or that's not yet a reality in your life, That's the situation that God is talking to Joshua about. That's the, the, the time or the circumstances under which we should start confessing the word over and over and over and over and over. Now, we wouldn't expect the mountain to move the first time we spoke it unless our heart was full of faith already. There's power in the word of God going into us through speaking the word and confessing the word. And when our heart gets full enough... When our spirits become saturated with the truth of that word, remember faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, the more we speak the word to ourselves, the more faith grows. And we can come to the place, and the Bible is very clear about this, Jesus talked about there being no limits to what we could achieve or do. When we get to the place where the word of God comes out of our mouth for the purpose of changing things in this physical realm. To effect a change in this physical realm. That's when the word of God returns to him with power. So there's power in the word to go into our hearts. And there's power in the word of God coming out of our hearts. That's where the abundance of the heart causes the mouth to speak. Now folks, the only uh, tool the devil has, the only weapon he has, is lies and deceit. That's the only way he can get us to operate Or fail to operate according to the word. It's the only way he can cause us to fail in the truth of the word. He has to lie to us. He has to try to deceive us. Let me tell you a story. Let me explain it this way. Brother Hagen talked about a church that he was pastor, a church that he was ministering in, holding a crusade in, and there was a, a couple in that church that had been in the ministry some time ago, but at that time they had turned the church that they were pastoring over to somebody else, and were just. Uh, living in this town I think it was in Texas somewhere and they were a part of the church not a part of the ministry staff just a part of the church well Brother Hagen had known them for, for several years before when they had their church and so Brother Hagin's just minding his own business preaching along so to speak and he got to the place over in John the letter that John, 1 John that, uh, that John wrote to the church and it says he that hateth his brother is a murderer and hath not eternal life well, Brother Hagen, not really intended anything specific, added to that, he said that means mother-in-law too. Well, that got a laugh. Everybody laughs about mother-in-laws and son-in-laws or, and that kind of stuff, daughters-in-law and so forth. But the the next day, they uh, Brother Hagen and the the pastor and, and Mrs. Hagen went to lunch with this couple that Brother Hagen knew, and so at the uh, at the lunch table. The wife of this couple said, "Brother Hagen, you've got me all in a mess." And he joking around with her said, "No, sister, you were in a mess before I got here. The word just showed it up." So they had a they had an ongoing relationship. They had you could tell that they were friends with one another. But anyway, he said, "Well, what's the problem?" And she said, "Last night you said when you were reading the scripture in First John that anybody that hates his brother is a murderer and has no eternal life in him. Then you said." That means mother-in-law too. And Brother Hagin owned up to it. He said, yep, yeah, that's what I said. What's your problem? She said, I hate my mother-in-law. And Brother Hagin said, well, if you hate your mother-in-law, then you're not saved. There's no eternal life in you. That's it. Bottom line. And so she started trying to explain why she should uh, expect that she is saved. She was born in the pastor's home. She was born in the parsonage itself and all this kind of stuff. And Brother Hagin said, none of that matters If you hate your mother-in-law, you don't have eternal life in you. And she finally got to the point where she was frustrated and and upset about it. she said, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. Brother Hagin decided to let her off the hook. And so he said, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to look me in the eye across the table, this lunch table, and say to me, I hate my mother-in-law. And at the same time you say it, I want you to look down on the inside of you and tell me what happens. So she looked him dead in the eye and said, I hate my mother-in-law. Brother Hagin said, what's going on down on the inside of you? She said, something's scratching me down there. And Brother Hagin explained, of course, that's the Holy Ghost trying to get you to act on the word. He's trying to get you to walk in love. And brother, and so she said, well, what am I going to do? Brother Hagin said, there's only one fix for this. You're going to have to start treating your mother-in-law the way that you would treat her if you loved her because you really do. He explained to her that the love of God was on the inside of her trying to trying to... To correct her error. Trying to lead her into the paths of peace and righteousness. He said you're going to have to start treating her like you already love her. Because inside whether you feel like it or not. On the inside you already do. So she came back a couple of days later. To Brother Hagin. Been in the, she stayed in the services of course. But she came back to talk to him. And invited him to a fellowship she was having at her home. That evening after service. So Brother Hagin and his wife decided to. Or accepted and decided to go over there. And so he went and the in-laws were over there. And so she came up to Brother Hagen, everybody knew each other fairly well at that point. So she came up to Brother Hagen and said, "You know, Brother Hagen, you're right. I don't hate these people. They're lovely people. They do things different from me and they try to control my husband a little bit, but these are lovely people." And she came to the place where she had asked forgiveness. And everything was cleared up. She's walking in love. Now everything's great. The next day, this couple had a daughter. She was probably five or six years old who had some kind of deformity in her feet. And her feet wouldn't, wouldn't stay straight. Her feet would flop out to the side. And so she wore these great big old braces to try to hold everything in check. And this mother, or I'm sorry, the child there was something else with it. I don't know if it was diagnosed as uh, epilepsy or, or what it was, but there was something where she'd have these seizures or fits or some way or another. And so Brother Hagen was about to get ready to, uh, to go to the evening service the next day. And she called, almost in hysterics, and said, my baby is having another one of these fits. And apparently it was something that you could see the warning signs coming on. It would start uh, lesser and then increase and finally get to a big Big, big seizure that was devastating to the whole family, of course. And so he said, he just remarked, he said, "Well, we're getting in the car right now to go over to church. Your house is on the way to church. We'll stop right there on the way." So they did. And when Brother Hagen got in the house, left the car and got in the house, the Lord spoke to him, or maybe he spoke to him in the car. I'm not sure about this. But anyway, the Lord spoke to him, spoke to him, and said, "Don't pray for the child." don't lay your hands on the child, don't touch him, her. But when you're in there, tell the mother to say to Satan, Satan, I'm walking in love, take your hands off my daughter. Well, Brother Hagen got to the house, and of course, she's expecting him to lay hands on the, the little girl, hoping there'd be a tangible anointing that Brother Hagen operated in when the Lord wills. And he got into the house and this little daughter was, uh, uh, was experiencing some of the increasing or advanced symptoms toward the big seizure. He told the mother what the Lord told him to say. He told her to say to the devil, Devil, take your hands off my daughter. I'm walking in love. Now folks, remember in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said a new commandment I give you. That you love one another even as I've loved you he went on to say in verse 15 by this shall all men know that you're my disciples the law of love has superseded it's fulfilled all the ten commandments and all the old testament 630 commandments of the law see instead of the ten commandments thou shalt not steal if you're walking in love you're not going to steal if you're walking in love you're not going to covet if you're walking in love you're not going to bear false witness love fulfills the law and so that's why it's the only commandment. It's not that there aren't other things from the Old Testament that we should forget about and not uh, uh, adhere to or aspire to. It's just that they're all fulfilled in the law of love. So she did. No sooner did those words come out of Brother Hagen's mouth that she turned and pointed her finger at, at her daughter and said, "Satan, you take your hands off my daughter. I'm walking in love." As fast as you snap your finger, Brother Hagen said, that seizure stopped and there was great peace and great calm on the child brother Hagen asked sometime later several years later he asked did this ever come back on her did the devil ever try to bring it back she said yeah she said there was a time when I was giving my little girl a bath it was some weeks maybe even a couple of months later and they still had those uh, uh, I mean they had taken off the braces because she had been healed when uh, the fit stopped Her feet straightened out the way they were supposed to be. She had never had to walk with those braces again. But she said sometime later in the bathtub, all of a sudden her daughter started to go into one of these fits or seizures or whatever they were. And her feet flopped out to the side like it had never been changed, like the healing had never come. Brother Hagin said, what did you do? She said, I remember what you told me to do the first time. She said, I told Satan, Satan, you take your hand off my little girl. I'm walking in love. And it stopped, her feet straightened out, and she never had any trouble with it from that point forward. Now, folks, here's the point. Remember in Mark chapter 11, we quoted verse 23, where Jesus says in verse 22, have faith in God. Verse 23, for whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith." Verse 24 goes on to tell about how faith works in prayer. Therefore I say unto you, Jesus said, What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Then he gives us a warning. He tells us about the number one hindrance to faith working. And that's unforgiveness. Verse 25, and when you stand praying, talking about the prayer of faith, and when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any that your heavenly Father may forgive you also your trespasses. Now the reason Jesus talked about unforgiveness there in verse 25 is because unforgiveness or any step outside of the love walk gives Satan uh, authority to tread on that territory, the territory of your life if you're holding unforgiveness against someone else. Well, she had been. This lady that hated her mother-in-law had just a couple of days before the healing came for her daughter had been walking in unforgiveness and folks it's entirely probable that that unforgiveness which had been going on for a long time had something to do with the reason that her daughter contracted this condition anyway if not then why would forgiveness have fixed it so quickly and easily so here's my question she was a pastor's wife She was an ordained minister. What was it that kept her from doing the word? This book of the law, this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. See folks, just a confession won't work. A confession and then an action in your life that corresponds with that that, uh, confession. That's what works and it works every time. What kept this woman from being a doer of the word? She let the devil lie to her about how these people were or what she thought these people would be. The terrible people that she once thought that they were. All those lies that the devil fed her in, in, in any, what, whichever manner, however it came. Those lies kept her out of the things of God. Those lies robbed her daughter of physical health for several years. So when James is talking about being a doer of the word. He's really telling us. And the the instruction of the Holy Ghost to us in in this situation. is really trying to point out to us. That the only way that the devil can rob from you that which Jesus purchased. Is to keep you from confessing the word. From being a doer of the word. Because that's where the blessings come. That's how the blessings come. So, so Often. Maybe not in every case, but so often in the areas of life that we're operating in defeat rather than victory. So often there's something about the word that we're not being a doer of. It shouldn't bring us condemnation. It should bring us happiness to realize all we've got to do is find out where we're missing it, where we need to take another turn, where we need to adjust and repair, and then get things on the right side. God wasn't mad at the woman because she hated her mother-in-law. It wasn't him that was involved in it whatsoever, but he can't bypass his word. If we won't walk in love, our faith won't work. The Bible says, so then faith worketh by love. That means faith won't work without love. That means we have to watch diligently. We have to speak the word of God. Again, two ways that the word of God has power. First of all, by speaking it to ourselves, it brings the power of God into our hearts, into our spirits. But then once the word of God is and has taken root in our spirit and the abundance of the heart causes the mouth to speak that's when power is released into the world. That's when power ascends back up to heaven as a testimony of God's word being operated in and obeyed on the earth by us. That's when God watches over his word to perform it. But first it's got to get down on the inside. I think a lot of times there was a situation that, uh, that Beth told me about some time ago where there was a, a minister that was very vocal and, and public about the confession that he was making and it created a, a difficulty because some of the things that he was saying weren't lining up with his, uh, what was going on in his life and so people were starting to ask questions. Now here's one thing about confession, I'm going to give you my opinion on something and this is strictly my opinion. I don't share my confession or my faith about the word of God with anybody that can't be part of the solution. See, there's no need for you to know what I'm believing for if you're not part of the answer. This is what James talked about, again, Mr. Practicality. James says, do you have faith? Have it to yourself and to God. I think a lot of people get themselves in trouble by making their confessions in a public manner. Because they're not settled, perhaps, enough to handle the questions that it raises they're not the word of God may not be rooted in them strongly enough yet that would enable them to stand against the criticism or the persecution or whatever might come I don't confess anything to somebody that's not part of the problem now the one exception to that is I've been instructed by the Lord to share some of the details as, as we go along the way about this thing that I'm standing against and praise God, that's on its way out. But that's only been, and the only times I've ever said anything are the times that the Lord told me to. Otherwise, as far as I'm concerned, you don't need to know. You know he's not going to change anything about my faith. You know he's not going to change anything about how I'm operating. So I just won't share anything. And and this is a biblical principle. It's It's a godly principle. You remember in the book of Job, Job starts complaining. Finally, he starts off on the right side, but then after a while, he gets to the point where he starts accusing God of doing him wrong. He starts claiming his own righteousness and God not being fair or not being righteous toward him. Well, then God shows up. God talks face to face with, Mo, with uh, Job. And he asks him, he said, if I was hungry, would I call you? He said, if I was thirsty, would I come to you about it? Job realizing the the mistake that he made fell on his face and asked for forgiveness and of course God forgave him. But if God operates according to the principle of taking care of things on his own shouldn't we do that too to the greatest degree that we can? Now don't get me wrong, there are times where we all need help and there's nothing wrong with going to somebody for help. But I'm just very careful about who I share things with. It's worked very well for me over the years. It stood me in good stead. And I would recommend that to just about anybody in just about any situation. Back to this lady. What kept her from being a doer of the word? She knew John 13 34. A new commandment I give you that you love one another, even as I have loved you. She knew that was in the Bible. She also knew that the Bible talked about unforgiveness in other ways, in other circumstances, different contexts. Why didn't she operate in it? Because she meditated on the wrong thing. She meditated on the lies of the devil. And those lies about her mother-in-law being a terrible person or out to get her or doesn't like her or whatever it was she was thinking about, those lies that she was thinking about her mother-in-law was obviously keeping her faith from working for her daughter. These were faith people, so to speak. Certainly she had prayed for her daughter over the years, but it wasn't prayer that was going to get the job done. The first thing that had to be done was forgiveness. And when she forgave, she stepped right back over under the blessing spout of heaven. And it wrought healing for her daughter, healing and deliverance for her daughter this book of the law this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth but thou shalt meditate therein keep saying it that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein folks meditating in the word speaking the word of God into your own heart and doing the word of God acting according to what the Bible says and again the only commandment of the new covenant is to love one another that brings results every time there's nothing the devil can do to stop The results from coming to pass when you're doing those two, taking those two simple steps. Let me show you another example real quick before we go, and it's Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. It tells us about Paul's ministry journey. The first six chapters tell us about the plot made against Paul and Barnabas to stone them so it says that they left town they left to that place well we'll start reading verse 6 they were aware of the plan to stone them and fled to Lystra and Derbe cities of Lyconia and under the region that lies round about and there they preached the gospel please notice they preached the gospel there they preached the gospel we're going to find out what their gospel included and there sat a certain man at Lystra impotent in his feet being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked the same heard Paul speak who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed (coughs) now there's more to the story and we'll pick it up in just a second but I want you to stop there and think about what's going on Paul's in a brand new place preaching to brand new people and in the crowd that he's preaching to there's this crippled guy who has never walked he must be in his 30s or more because he's con, uh, considered to be a man. If he had not reached manhood yet, then it would give a different uh, description of him. But for all of his life, he's been crippled, never has taken a step. And he hears Paul speak. Paul is preaching the gospel. He's preaching about what Jesus effected for us. And remember, faith comes by hearing, Romans ten seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. It tells us that Paul saw this guy. He beheld this guy and perceived. He knew. Now, I don't know if he knew because of the look on the guy's face or if he knew because there was something that happened on the inside of him, revelation from the Holy Ghost. I don't know how he knew, but he knew. He perceived a spiritual inclination, perhaps. He perceived that the man had faith to be healed. Now, folks, there's only one way the guy could get faith to be healed, and that is if Paul was preaching healing. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. If Paul is preaching water baptism, this guy may have faith to be baptized in water, but not faith to be healed. If Paul is just preaching forgiveness of sins, then this guy would have faith to have his sins forgiven, but not faith to be healed. But faith is produced in any area that the word of God is preached. He had faith to be healed, so it necessitates, by definition, it necessitates that Paul's gospel included healing. Because that's what they preached. Verse 7, there they preached the gospel. Paul's gospel must have been a gospel of healing for the body. And so this guy, it's a great day. This guy receives faith from hearing the word taught. From hearing about what Jesus did and the price that he paid for us. This guy hears Paul preach. And Paul perceived, he knew that the guy had faith to be healed. Now we have no reason to think that this is anything other than the first time Paul's ever been there. If he's been there before the Bible never told us about it. If this guy had heard the gospel preached any time before Paul getting there and preaching, we don't have any record of that either. So I think without information to the contrary, we have to assume this is the first time Paul's been there. And this is the first time this guy's ever heard the name of Jesus preached, particularly in the area of divine healing or health. So he's got faith to be healed. Why isn't he healed? He's got faith to be healed. He's missing one thing. He's missing the mixing of of actions with his belief. He believes what Paul is saying. He readily accepts what Paul is saying. Paul is obviously telling him that Jesus paid the price for sickness and disease along with the price for sin. And the guy has faith to be healed. He's got a foundation for healing. Why is he not yet healed? Because he had not taken action on it. So Paul knows how this stuff works he knows he's got this guy got to get this guy to moving he's got to get this guy to doing something and Paul determines the thing to have him to do is to stand up on his feet so Paul said with a loud voice after perceiving that the man had faith to be healed from hearing the word preached Paul said with a loud voice stand upright on your feet and he leaped and walked and he leaped and walked notice what him doing The word. Notice him taking corresponding actions with what he believes. He believes he he can be healed. He believes Jesus paid the price for his healing. All it takes is one corresponding action to mix with the faith that he received from hearing Paul preach, and bingo, his life instantly changes. And so Paul said, Stand upright on your feet, and he did. He leaped and walked. Now, if you read the rest of the story, The Bible tells us about how there was such an uproar about this thing and everybody's so excited that they start thinking that Paul and Barnabas are some of the Greek mythological gods. Paul has to stop them from making sacrifices unto them. But more importantly than anything else, this cripple's life was was changed because of one message that he heard, one sermon that he heard and the action that he took based on what he heard. His whole life was changed forever. His whole life was changed forever. What if this guy hadn't taken action? Then he would have gone around wondering among the people. You know, I believe what that Paul said. I just don't understand why it didn't work. But it was his action mixed with his faith that activated his faith. Remember, what, remember what James said in chapter two that we read: "Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead." The thing that made the difference between a dead faith and a living faith for this guy in Acts 14 was the action that he took because of what he heard. There are multiple stories like this in the Bible. Woman with issue of blood in Mark chapter 5. When she heard of Jesus, she came and pressed behind for she said, if I may touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Well, she's saying a good thing, but if she doesn't follow through and touch his clothes, there's no way for it to come to pass. But she fought through the crowd and touched his clothes and Jesus immediately knowing himself that virtue went out of him and into her stopped and turned around and said who touched me? When she touched Jesus she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Her life changed the last 12 years when in 12 years she had an issue of blood? The last 12 years were finally over. And her life was changed because of what she believed and the action she joined together with it. Faith plus works brings results every time. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your, the simplicity of your word. We thank you, Lord, that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. We don't just confess that, Father. We do confess it because we believe it. We'll continually confess it to put the word of God into our hearts. But also, Father, we speak the word to our bodies. Body, receive the word of God. Adapt to the word of God. God. Be changed to conform with the Word of God in Jesus' name. Satan, we refuse to allow ourselves to be sick in body. We refuse to allow ourselves, allow you to have any influence over ourselves in any way whatsoever. Jesus said he'd give us the keys of the kingdom, and whatever we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. We bind the work of sickness in our bodies. And according to God's Word, heaven backs us up. Thank you, Father. It's so good to be healed. Thank you for the price that Jesus paid for us to walk in divine health. Even as you said, Lord, you said you'd restore us to health and heal our wounds. We thank you for doing just that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.